0: Hello, I'm John Kelly and this is a podcast of Mystery Train. For rights reasons, the music is shorter than in the original programme. Mystery Train hits the rails Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on RTE Lyric FM. that's a song called uh, The Early King and it comes from an album from uh, BBD called uh, Safe Inside the Day and I wanted to play that because my guest tonight uh, has written a book called The Early King and The Kid in Yellow and uh, Danny Denton's going to be picking all the music tonight. Danny, great to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be on.
0: It's actually been a while, Danny, since since the book came out and we first mooted the idea of you coming on. So I'm, I'm glad we finally got it together so that you would uh, you would come in. But you live in Cork, of course, so it's it's it's, a, it's far
1: away. It's far away. Um, but I'm I'm Mystery Train is in my house at least three nights a week. I would say because I'm cooking dinner to it. So for the last year and a half I've been cooking the dinner to mystery train
0: oh, oh that's good I'll thinking, keep that, I'll keep that in mind
1: <laughs> thinking what will my selections be when I get on and what? sure when the time comes then you're, you're well that la-
0: that'll actually affect my selections too thinking that <laughs> somebody is is, is cooking <laughs> the, the, now that I happen to play that song the early King and your book is called the early King and the kid in yellow is there any connection between the song and the book
1: there's a there is a con- uh, a connection um it's a kind of a strange one so Um, When I was kind of doing some of the reading for this book that will kind of inform it, like I was reading a bit, I was reading quite a bit of Goethe actually, or Goethe, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but he has um, a poem and it's called Der Erlkonig, which I think translates as the Elf King. And it's a poem about a boy on the back of his father's horse and they're riding home at night and the boy keeps saying Der Erlkonig is is chasing after us, he's going to touch me and the father keeps looking around and he sees darkness, he's like there's nothing there, don't worry about that. Um, and by the time he gets home, the uh, the Earl Connick has touched the boy, and the father turns around to get him off the horse, and he's dead. Um, and I remember finding that going, God, that is so spooky. Um, and kind of reading around it, and I saw, oh, this Baby D has a song based on it called the er- the Early King, so, and I was blown away. And I got to meet Baby D. She played in the Crane Lane in Cork. I got to meet her and chatted to her. She was lovely. And I couldn't get that that idea out of my head. Um, and when I needed a villain for my book, I said it's going to be that spooky, ethereal kind of yeah. character. Yeah. Um, and I had to then, I wrote, wrote Baby D a letter to say, do you mind, like, there was no copyright issue because it's based on a poem, but do you mind, like, do you have any problem if I go ahead with this? And she wrote me this gorgeous letter back explaining how the poem was about her uh, father and, like, I think her she had um, a brother who choked at the breakfast table on a piece of bacon at some point. She was all, it was all about that memory of kind of tragedy and thing. And I was like, oh, wow. And there were loads of things that actually chimed with the book, even though there was no real relation between the song and the book. Um, there were loads of chimes. So it was just a really, really lovely, lovely thing. She's wow. retired now. Really? She retired in December. Didn't know yeah. that.
0: Didn't know that. So, Donnie, we're going to talk about... Uh your, your life as a writer and your life in, in Passage West, really. Yeah. this strikes me as a kind of a, a place in the far <laughs> northern reaches of Canada or somewhere. But we, we'll come to that in a minute. Your first musical choice in my, is...
1: In my first musical choice is a Passage West song. It's going to be um, You Got the Love, um, the source featuring Candy Statton. Um, and essentially, I wanted to pick a song from the early days and it was between this and Ash... Because my earliest engagement probably with music in a very real way was recording songs off Atlantic 252. Yeah. And you'd you'd hear them in the disco. So there'd be a the disco down in the soccer club of a Friday evening or whatever. What,
0: what year are we talking about now? We're about <laughs>
1: going far-ish back. So we're probably talking between 90, I was born in 1983. We're talking 95. Sorry, you were born when? 83. 83 <laughs> Oh man <laughs>
0: You But I you feel know.
1: old now To be honest Talking you know Some of the younger people You meet around um, But Yeah so 90 Probably you're talking 95 You go to your first school disco. your under twelves is very innocent And then by and By 98 or 15 And it's not that innocent at all But Candy Stanton Ash um, Entrance All these All these different things We're playing And then you try and You get on Atlantic 252 And you be You'd have, I used to have the get a blaster in the bunk bed. I shared a room with my brother, and I'd be trying to record. You'd be, ha- you know, you'd have record and pause hit, and you'd be waiting to hit on pause when the song you wanted came on. So I, well, I wanted to start with one, with one of those songs. So if you've got um, Candy Stanton we'll go for.
0: You got the love. We go for that. That's uh, Candy Statton there and the now Voyager radio mix of uh, You Got the Love, the choice tonight, the first choice of my guest tonight, Danny Denton. Now, Danny, you uh, mentioned earlier Passage West. What sort of a place is Passage West? Because it does sound a bit like some kind of frontier in the Arctic somewhere.
1: It It is a frontier of sorts. Um but it's more of a frontier maybe to to nicer nicer places like uh, Monkstown and Crosshaven, and then West Cork. I I feel very happy to have grown up there, even though it's probably not the the, the most gorgeous place or whatever. But as the passage people, like it's interesting that you said frontier because passage people, I grew up, um, when I was about 15, I was pulling pints in the local pub where I was quite tall. So I was first collecting glasses and then she was like, ah, you can just pull pints, you look old enough. Um, and I often felt like I was living in the wild West I felt like I was living in Deadwood you know or, or, or a place like that and um, because people, yeah, there's it's kind of a strange place. I don't know what the affinity of is with westerns and country music and things like that, but Passage definitely had that vibe where there was guy, you know, there was the hawk strolling around town, there was the crab, there were all these different kind of local characters, lads wearing cowboy hats, lads wearing kind of Vietnam fatigues and things. Wow, what, um, what was it, So it, it did have that kind of frontier aspect, but we that was all kind of a it was Storyland to us. Like we or were. Was owned. it the
0: sort of place where you know I'm thinking of, say, San Francisco or other places like that, where maybe Dingle to an extent, you know, where people who have been moving just kind of end up there because there's nowhere else to go. They just think that becomes the end of the road in a sense. So San Francisco is full of people like that who have literally drifted across America and yeah. they end up in San Francisco.
1: Well, passage now, actually, I should say, I haven't lived there for a long time. We've been moving around for, since I went to college, probably, but it is unrecognisable now because it's a suburb and this is not this is the kind of thing you're talking about but in a way more mundane way basically cork city 6 miles away they started filling in the gaps with with housing estates so now we were the first we were the first of probably 15 or 20 and it's now a suburb um there's housing i think barred i can think of one a 1 mile stretch of road that doesn't have houses along it now for all the way into the city so and it is loads of people who come to work in cork people come from different places and it's a real multicultural place now. And it's actually, it's lovely, like, you know, kind of um, my last year playing Gao with them or whatever, you're seeing all these young guys coming up completely wild surnames and stuff, which is just really, really nice. Um, But as to, yeah, I don't know what that does for the dynamic of the town. Do all these people come in and be part of the town or do all these people use it as a station on their way into work?
0: Let's have your next next choice, Danny.
1: So my next choice... um, comes from the schoolroom, second year in St. Peter's Community School. Fiona Calicon hands me a tape um, of, um, of a, uh, an album called The Bends. And i suddenly watched this uh, strange thing and I became obsessed with Radiohead. Then I picked um, Let Down from OK Computer. Um, I think it's the best album released in my lifetime.
0: That's um, a big statement.
1: Yeah, and I pick Let Down because I
0: think. But it's But then just you were remarkable. born in
1: 1983. <laughs> it's true, yeah. That's why I always <laughs> had on in my lifetime. It's not that lot. It's not that much of a selection.
0: Okay, Let Down, Radiohead. And that's Radiohead. Let down from OK Computer. The second choice from my guest tonight, the novelist Danny Denton. Danny, you mentioned surnames a moment ago. Your own surname, uh, Denton. Uh, you know, as <laughs> you know, if you wanted to impress the Swanks in London, you're publishing lunches, you could have called yourself D- Denton. Denton. Yeah, Denton. <laughs> Danton, Dante.
1: Denton's had a funny journey because so. I'm, we're blow to passage, um, I should mention. Um, my mother's from Waterford and my father is from uh, Clapham Junction in London. Uh, and Denton comes from London. <clears throat> but when they looked into it, Denton actually comes from Monaster Evan or somewhere. Really, does it? And originally it's Norman or something. Yeah, yeah, so it actually was originally, even though I, kind of, I was called the English kid for ages, we moved over from England when I was five or six, um, I was the English lad for ages, but uh, actually, it's an Irish name. But so, uh,
0: when you, of course, you would have had an English accent and everything at that age. You were an English kid.
1: I so yeah, yeah. I, I arrived with an English accent, and I w- I think I went into senior infants, and within a week, I had an Irish accent. And was that week.
0: was that acquired quickly, or was it just did it just does that just happen? It's
1: I think. They're cool. you, we could have a deep philosophical conversation about Why this. Because um, <laughs> I think maybe like I was um, t- interviewed Pat McCabe uh, recently and talked about mimicking. Like when you when you're writing, you start out as a mimic. Mm-hmm. And Pat McCabe is obviously he's an amazing mimic. Like in in person, he's an amazing mimic. And maybe there's something in the the, the writing spirit is that you you're, you're good at mimicry. Like I would find myself. I spent a summer in America. The usual J one crack. And having little American twangs to my voice very quickly I lived in Galway for three years I still have a bit of go Like I don't have a passage accent exactly I still Mm. have kind of a bit more of a rounded Cork towards Galway accent But then down in Cork in the pub with my pals I'm like You know like so There's something of mimicry in it Um, And so maybe that was the reason Or maybe it was just a desperation to fit in But within a week I was I was Irish. I wasn't let forget that I came from England for quite some time.
0: Kind of like Dairy Girls, really, um, Isn't it? <laughs> but maybe
1: I haven't seen it yet. I haven't. I've got to catch up on Dairy Girls. Actually, <laughs> you um, should.
0: I've, I've I've watched it twice now. Yeah, is it that oh, good? That's ah, it's hilarious.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've got I've got to catch up, and I'm not big. We don't have a TV in our house, and we do watch shows on the laptop. Um, but it means we're very slow. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's we the to,
0: 1983 thing again. This could <laughs> become, just, this could become a theme. <laughs> Um, so um, what, are your, what did your folks do by the way
1: my mum was a dental nurse she now trains healthcare assistants um, and my dad was a social worker in Mount St Joseph's which is kind of a kid's
0: home and Passage and when you get to the age you are now does, does your connection with England does it, does it feature at all does it, does it register even
1: it, I have a I have a strong connection with England now, but more so because I went back. I went back and lived there, and I'll, I'll we'll play a couple of songs maybe later on that kind of for, about that connection. But when I was growing up, I was adamant that I wanted to get away from like I wanted to get away from Englishness, being English. I was very anti English all the time. Um, my I don't know if this is true. but I remember my mum saying to me once that my personality changed completely. So we grew up on a council estate. Uh, in Camberwell in England which then was like rough as anything um, and now is kind of full of budding artists which is like you know the the way of things um, but we grew up in a council estate I've, I've very few memories but the memories are of concrete mortar brick um, I, have, I think I have a memory of the hurricane in 1987 because I remember slates flying around and crashing sounds and things but as soon as we got to Ireland and I had my and I discovered feel and probably we'd been on holidays and things, so I had a notion of what I was in for. I just my um so I became way more sociable, way more um outgoing and stuff like that. That so I think growing up as a teenager I just wanted to get away from any notion of Englishness. I was embarrassed by my English family and stuff like that. Funnily enough, I didn't think my dad I don't know if this is a psychological block. I never thought my dad had an English accent. It was only when I was a teenager and they were like, Your dad's like got a pure Cockney accent. I was like, No, he doesn't. I thought he had an Because he picked he very quickly picked up Irish ways of saying things, but he still has his and today he still has his English accent. But um yeah, it's very um very strange, but yeah, the dad worked in the Mountain Passage and that was a really nice way in because we used to hang around a lot with the kids there and it was a connection. We all went to the like, Passage is a small enough place in terms of everyone went to the same primary school and it was a small primary school and stuff like that. Um, and mam, yeah, she had to give up work for a while to raise. It was four of us and none of us were easy, so... Uh, okay. And now she, yeah, now works as a healthcare assistant. And they're yeah. both brilliant at their jobs, which is really nice.
0: Your next choice is uh, Damon Alburn. But tell me a little bit about this because uh, pe- people know from Blur. I'm I'm into him at the moment because of the the good, the bad, and the Queen. Oh outfit, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Is, and you know, talking about England and Englishness and so on, he's he's getting into that. Yeah, uh, that he
1: handles talk. it. Oh man, he handles it well. And this is part of it. So I originally said I have to get a Blur song on there because I'm I was growing up and Blur versus Oasis Britpop was real and it was a thing in the classroom. Who were you, Blur or Oasis? And just going into secondary school, I used to pretend I was Oasis. I did like Oasis, but I preferred Blur. I used to pretend I was Oasis to fit in with my gang. <laughs> you want to be seen as the Blur lad in my gang. So I had to, I was like, I'm definitely going to put a Blur on there to, just to make amends. But then when I realized I had to have Damon Albert, I had to have something off this Dr. D. So this is kind of my Blur um, choice, but it's Damon Albert. Um This is from a Chinese opera he did in Manchester um, about Jonathan D, who was kind of... Um, a ma- in the 1600s he was a mathematician and alchemist he like I don't think really science but then was what it is now so alchemy astrology the occult was all involved in his thing um, and he, con- um,
0: he conjured angels
1: he conjured angels and, and why did that? he conjure angels to <laughs>
0: discover the source of
1: creativity it was this beautiful Faustian kind of dream the reason I know had. this
0: is because his, his co-conspirator co- his buddy was a guy called Kelly ah Thomas Kelly no no, that was my father. He never did that. Um, Edward, was it Edward Kelly? Ed, Edward Kelly. Was it Edward yeah, Kelly? Yeah, No, he Edward spelled Bell. his name K L L E Y, but he's definitely still one of us.
1: Yeah, and there are so on on the it's the soundtrack to this opera, there are songs um that were that sung in the voice of Edward Kelly as well, I think.
0: I'm not sure of his name now. I'll have to check that. But anyway, um D Doctor D and Kelly and the and they, they they were up to all sorts. But they, I think they had a direct line to Elizabeth the First and everything. She he was, was the advisor to Queen this, Elizabeth yeah. I.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the advisor to Queen Elizabeth I and there he was trying to summon angels on her behalf to discover the source of all creativity. Mm. Um, and Damon Albarn has a chat with Alan Moore, the great graphic novelist or whatever you however you want to term it, cartoonist, um, writer. And they come up with this idea that they're going to do it on a Chinese opera. I'd love to have seen it. I found out about it long after it was over. And... Um, and again actually going on, this, I kind of discovered this as part of my kind of Faust research for the book and things but um, this song is, The Moon Exalted is just it's absolutely gorgeous and the way it flows like you kind of if you mention Damon Albarn to people on the street they'll say like oh yeah boys and girls or something like yeah. that and the, the range the guy has of talents of interests is just phenomenal
0: Okay here's The Moon Exalted Damon Albarn Music there from uh, Damon Albarn's uh, opera, uh, Dr. D, uh, the opera soundtrack, the choice of Danny Denton is with me in studio tonight. He's an interesting character, Alburn, isn't he? I mean, as you say, mm. you know, when you were a Blur fan back in the day, it, it all seemed kind of a bit kind of, you know, lads in the park kind of stuff, but a lot more to him.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now, when you were uh, uh, a young kid, much <laughs> younger yeah. than you are now. <laughs> Um, do you remember the first time music kind of got a hold of you? Now, the reason I'm asking you this question is I know you're a music fanatic and I know that for you to put together, you know, 14 or so tracks for tonight was tricky and you started off with about 100 tracks. And yeah, there. yeah. And so, so I know you've been paying attention to music for a long time. When you were young uh, as a kid, maybe, you know, six or seven, whatever it was, you first got a grip, yeah. got, a, got a notion about it. What, I... what, what was it?
1: I rem- like, the earliest thing that I remember is um, the Bangles' Eternal Flame being played in our house.
0: That's a repeat. good start.
1: And I was going to, actually, it was going to be one of my choices, but again, as we were saying, 100 down to 14 is is difficult, so I, I kind of decided I'd have to try and theme it somehow, but the Bangles didn't make the cut. But that, I remember just being absolutely in love with that song, not knowing who it was, and not knowing for years who it was. Like, maybe when I was a teenager, that song came randomly on the radio and said, oh, I've just remembered my, like my childhood. So that would have been, but the then like you're kind of you're in the mainstream when you're a kid aren't you so like the first tape i ever bought was new kids on the block and then i was and then it was listening to the compilations now 97 now all those kind of things mm-hmm. um but i think where i where i actively became a participant is probably atlantic 252 and and trying to record songs off the radio and then the next step from recording songs off the radio is making mixed tapes and that's the f- my first experience probably of joy in music is the idea of sharing it with someone else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, someone you fancy early and you know, when you're yeah. 12. You know, one of the joys of of art in general um, is putting together things and sharing them with people, yeah. right? Um, it's been one of the joys of editing The Sting and Fly um, this this past while. Is The Sting and Fly is a
0: very well-known literary journal which comes out, what, many times a year? Comes out twice, twice a year, a year a now. Year, <clears throat> and you have, recently quite recently become the editor of
1: of, yeah 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 and it's like it was very daunting at the start but that fundamental joy again it's like essentially like making a mixtape but it's for the world like i mean you you do a mystery train you know most nights of the week you're putting together this beautiful mixtape and people can engage in it and that is like probably one of the fundamental joys other than making art yourself that's one of the fundamental joys and i did I loved it. I used to make make with my pals. I remember Neave McNamara coming up and giving me a tape and I had Foo Fighters on it. I would never heard of the Foo Fighters before. Things you know like it's just it's marvelous. Um but then becomes very stressful when you're asked on mystery training <laughs> you they say you've got this many songs. You're like, "Oh boy." Um
0: and what was the what was the first music then that you know Really, kind of captured you. You know the way people discover. It could be Bowie. It could be Bob Dylan. Whatever it is. No,
1: I think it's Radiohead. I think I I I got handed that tape um, by Fionn, and I remember like queuing outside um, HM. Was it HMV? It wasn't Virgin. Virgin arrived much later. It must have been HMV or Golden Golden Discs. I remember queuing outside Golden Discs, Merchant's Key in Cork waiting for this album to come out. So I think it's, it probably, you are like, music is a, is um it's what would you call it, like a social badge as well when you're in school. So you've got your Blur versus Oasis type thing. um And then when you're queuing for CDs, I think that's when I'm actively engaged. And the, be- the beauty of things then is when you got the CD, you paid like two weeks pocket money for it mm-hmm. or whatever it might have been. You're going to force yourself to listen it over and over again. And one of my, if I have a bit of grief now about music, one of the things is I probably don't give things half the attention. Yeah. If something doesn't grab you in the first listen, there's just something else on Spotify, or there's something else someone's tweeted about, or whatever. But then the
0: older you get, you see the less opportunity you do get to to lie in your bedroom listening to a record. I mean that doesn't, you know, as you grow up, that's not really. Have you like quite the, so feasible?
1: This I haven't actually vocalized this yet, but have you have you ever experienced a nostalgia for boredom? Yes. I've, I, I've noticed lately I get really nostalgic If I happen to be somewhere Where I don't have headphones in And no one's talking to me And say I just see a length of A strip of pavement or something I get suddenly really nostalgic For just sitting on the pavement Outside the gaff Trying to figure out What am I going to do All my pals are having their dinner Or whatever it might be No, no one's around What am I going to do yeah, and no, I, 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 if I
0: miss it you know well you need to you need to somehow try and create that kind of space for yourself but it's not always possible. It just well it's rarely possible nowadays, no, yeah, I think. Yeah. You
1: know? Getting off the spending less time on the internet for me would be a start because
0: I'm on it too much. Well, ideally I must admit I would get off everything. Yeah, yeah I would yeah. withdraw from the whole shooting gallery. Yeah. But yeah. then the minute you do that you realize that, sir your life stops.
1: Yeah, you yeah, don't exist anymore. You, you don't become exist. a ghost. Yeah. You become a, a social ghost. <laughs> um, but it'd be interesting to see if it does happen. Like, you know, movements go back and forth, up and down. It'd be interesting to see if people do start just going, ah, enough is enough.
0: Well, I mean, right. I, I use Twitter a lot because, of, well, not so much recently, but I do use it for work purposes, you know, just to mm, let mm. people know that your show is on and stuff like that. But I don't think Twitter is your friend.
1: I don't think it's... Uh, at the start, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's too much. It's just too much. It's overwhelming, you know.
0: And do you, think, do you think Twitter is having an effect, and social media in general, but I'm thinking Twitter in particular because it's the one I know best, mm. has an effect on, on the creative life of a place? Because a lot of people who are creative, uh, musicians and writers and so on, feel obliged to be on social media. Uh, whereas, you know, you can be damn sure Seamus Heaney was never on it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Would Heaney would Heaney no. have been on it if it was
0: no. contemporary? No. No. Probably he, not. No. And there are people like he'd have been, Kevin he'd Barry. been, he'd Kevin been in his office writing poems.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah.
0: and Kevin Barry's not on Twitter, it, it's, you know.
1: But it's also it's not. See, I'm I'm. We're having this conversation, now and I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, I I actually think I'm I'm going to get off, and actually saying it on the radio actually means it probably will happen, which is great. Um, but all these things start from a good place. Like Twitter, there was a time for me in my life when Twitter was great because I was discovering all these things so like a new Maria Somerville record comes out a brand new person I never have, it would have taken months for me to hear of yeah. her except Twitter so that's a really cool thing but when you just get overexposed and Twitter breeds massive anxiety um, it's it becomes too much in terms of what it does for a creative place I can see the good in it in that everyone hears about things much quicker yeah. right yeah. so you hear about books that you wouldn't have heard about word of mouth is like Instant and rapid, but then when you get too much of it, which I think everyone probably has now, it erodes the actual word of mouth, the lovely feeling of word of mouth, where mm-hmm. someone says, puts a book into your hand and says, mm-hmm. "Have a read of this," rather than you just going, "I've got fifteen books that I've been recommended," while I ate my cereal this morning. So and you know When what you I mean? talk
0: about anxiety as well, I mean, and everybody presenting their best self, if you're a if you were a young musician, or you were a young novelist, and you look at Twitter you would think everybody is hugely successful.
1: Yeah. You know, and, yeah, yeah. and
0: meanwhile, you can't finish the sentence or you're struggling with paragraph one, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm pleased to announce the publication of my next 17 novels <laughs> after a 12-way auction. <laughs> you know, this, you, 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 would, you would actually think, you would think there was nothing to it. And
1: you spent the morning trying to finish one paragraph yeah, yeah. yeah in, in the
0: full yeah. knowledge that nobody well in the full expectation that nobody would ever publish it or even see it
1: uh, absolutely yeah. that's,
0: that's got to be damaging you know if you start to think the other thing is normal
1: I think what, what it does probably is it adds to the discipline so like I would be very disciplined in terms of I get up in the morning and I write for X amount of hours and there's no going on Twitter yeah, there's no going on the Guardian website there's no checking the GAA scores any, any of that until the writing's done um but that's not, that's a habit and habits are difficult at the start. So like that wasn't always that way and it's not easy that it's that way. It could, it, you could easily slip out of it because um, I don't know, some, you 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 were on the radio last night and you want to see on Twitter if people have mentioned it or if you've got a new follower or, you yeah. know, yeah, it's...
0: It's yeah. not your friend.
1: It's not ultimately your friend. <laughs> okay. There is definite benefit in it, but it's not your friend anymore. Your
0: next choice is My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, those guys weren't messing around on social media. That's for sure. No, I, I wonder. I wonder. Is he on? Is Kevin Shields on social I media? Don't know. Probably not. I probably don't, not. They're I not don't.
1: actually. Funny enough, I was kind of uh, raiding my Spotify for songs, and they're not on Spotify. Right. Which is, which probably tells you what their what their stance is. You see, um, Kevin
0: Shields again strikes me as one of those musicians who was out of it all. Was apart yeah. apart from everything, yeah. And they're often the ones who do the best work, aren't they? That kind of yeah.
1: outliers. In some yeah. way. And I, I've been wondering this lately about kind of subcultures, countercultures. You wonder: is there a whole world of things? Because the easy thing to say is nobody would hear about your garage band um, gig if you weren't on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, right? Yeah but is there an, un, an underground or sub-scene around the place where people are not on Twitter and they're putting on shows, they're putting things on? I don't yeah. know the answer to that question, but it, it's lovely to think yeah. that there might be a My Bloody Valentine out there making innovative work and we don't hear about them because we're all on Twitter. And yeah. that would be a re- that would be a great that's, reason to get off Twitter because you'll open your eyes to the streets again. I mean, you might see a poster somewhere that says, if you want to see a gig come here.
0: That's a good thought. You know, yeah, that would be, be lovely. My Bloody Valentine... To hear knows when, my bloody Valentine. To hear notes when from Lovelace, the choice of Danny Denton, who's with me in studio tonight. Danny, we'll have one more musical choice before we take a, a quick break. Um, I noticed the name Jennifer Walsh down here, and I've come across Jennifer Walsh and her music a few times in the past. Where did you first find Jennifer Walsh? Because she's another one who you know, you could grow up listening to pop music or trad music or country music. You never, ever in a million years come across Jennifer Walsh.
1: Yeah, um, I first came across Jennifer Walsh. Actually, it's only recently enough that I've realised who Jennifer Walsh is and that she has all this this massive body of work. But a pal of mine who's a music journalist in London said, if you're interested in, and we were talking about avant-garde, subcultury kind of stuff. so said, if you're interested in the avant-garde, he said, go on this website, a i s t e a c h A-I-S-T-E-A-C-H.org. And I was like, oh what's this? And it's a, it's like a compendium of all this avant-garde Irish music. And there are all these strange stories about dadaists, um satanic rituals and kind of soundtracks to satanic rituals that people were making. I was like, my god, this is a a whole section around I never would have thought existed. I thought that all that kind of subculture stuff happened in Liverpool and Manhattan and wherever else Brooklyn and all these places. Um and then you click on the disclaimer for the website and you find out that it's all fiction. It's all made up. Mm-hmm. The music is actually, you can listen to the music. It's real music. But all the stories are fictional. All the artists are fictional. And it's the brainchild of Jennifer Walsh. So I said, okay, this is really cool. I'm initially upset (laughs) because I'm like, oh, I've just had five amazing artists um, who record, you know, the sounds of themselves shaving over Kung Fu uh, things, samples. Um, And then you realize, yeah, it's all one person. But then, of course, you get to discover the person behind it. And she's making this incredible work of kind of disruption and dissonance. Um, And so and I'm only now understanding how much there is, which is great. Cause and do you out there. do you
0: respond to artists like that because you know you're a novelist and you're under uh, you know a certain amount of pressure if you choose to accept it to produce work that people will, people will buy you know that, that will that will sell that will work in a marketplace uh, you could do the equivalent using words but I mean nobody's ever going to see it because no one will publish it. So what do you, yeah. you know? We get an artist like Jennifer Walsh who does her absolutely does her own thing, and she's highly, highly regarded in the circles in which she is known. Which mm, is and, never ever going to be number one on the charts.
1: No, no, and I wonder you you wonder would people choose to be like my my deal? I think when you have a book come out, you really want it to do well, and you really want everyone to be talking about it, and you really want it to sell well. And you might want to do that because maybe you want to be famous. You want everyone to know you. Or you might want to do it because you want to earn enough money to do another book, to do another, or one. to buy a house or yeah. whatever. Um,
0: As opposed to a swimming pool and a helicopter,
1: or, or a swimming pool and a helicopter. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're doing that well, right? Uh, if you're Max Porter, maybe. <laughs> but like, so I think I that you can get easily confused, or you can want both. And I've realized in the publication of a book, I want enough money to do the next thing. I have no interest anymore. I did want to be well I did want to be well reviewed and i did want to be everyone wants to be liked of course, but now I realize i want to go i i want to go down the Jennifer Walsh because you need to decide you're, if you're lucky enough to have one book published, if you 're going to have a second book published, you need to decide who are you are you the mm-hmm. are you the guy who only writes dystopian fiction? Uh, Are you the guy who writes thrillers? Are you the guy who writes comedies? Or are you the weirdo and you never know what they're going to write next? Or are you the person who is experimental, that kind Mm -hmm. of a tag like that? So I think like you do have to make a choice, and the riskier choice is to do your own thing. Um, And I think Jennifer, it strikes me that Jennifer Walsh does her own thing, but it also strikes me she clearly can make a living out of it, and she's doing well. So that's like probably the perfect. that's the perfect solution that you're so good at doing your own thing that people listen anyway and there are people like it's amazing work you know what I mean if you can sit down and it's probably not going to be on 2FM like uh, anytime soon as you say she's not going to win me neither she's not going to win probably a Grammy for it or anything like that but it's phenomenal weird interesting and true art you know what I mean so
0: and what are we playing here in Manhattan
1: I think we're playing Manhattan yeah it was kind of hard to choose because a lot of the pieces are along they usually have very interesting investigations using samples of interviews or voices. Um, Manhattan I think kind of encapsulates her style um, the best okay.
0: Music there from Jennifer Walsh. Uh, Manhattan, the choice of Danny Denton, who's with me in studio tonight, picking all the music. This is Mystery Train on RTE Lyric FM. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more of uh, Danny's Choices. This is Mystery Train on RTE Lyric FM, the Sunday night special where we get someone to pick the music. And tonight it's the novelist Danny Denton who's picking all the tunes. Danny, when did the writing start for you, do you think?
1: The writing started probably, I think everyone writes at a very young age. So like writing stories about magic rings in the garden and leprechauns and things early on. And then... um, Now how early was that? I, primary school. I remember. I actually have specific memories of writing Roald Dahl kind of rip-off poems in the back of my hardcover notebook right. uh, in fourth class, probably. And they were kind of songs about um, evil dentists and crocodiles and things like that. Um,
0: if I was your agent, I'd try and get those published. <laughs> good they're probably
1: me. a bit too Roald Dahl now. Evil
0: dentists and um, crocodiles.
1: Yeah, universal wow. themes. Universal wow. themes of literature, Wish obviously. I um, and then teenage years i didn 't I, I kind of was mad into writing things, but at teenage years i didn 't show a bit of interest in it. I was too busy uh, playing ga, trying to um, impress girls and you know trying to be cool music wise and things like that and Then I think when I was seventeen eighteen, I started again. I almost had that thing, um, and I was talking about this at an event recently and I, I bet you had a two at school as a writer you were hoping your essay might get, you'd write an essay for class and you are hoping that the teacher might say, read it out because it was good. And that was like the first time I probably felt like really, really cool and valid. Like I'd done something cool and the teacher said, we're going to ask Danny to read his short story because his homework was so good or
0: whatever. Oh, that's the last thing I'd have wanted because oh, right. you'd, have been, you'd have been torn limb from limb <laughs> by your comments. Well,
1: yeah, there was that too. But there Who was do really you a think you are pride.
0: writing? Writing, are you? Maybe <laughs> a secret pride.
1: But then I took a year out. I didn't know what I wanted to do um when I did my labouring start, So I took a year off and I went off to China. I got like a one-week TEFL course and I went off to China as an 18-year-old and, and taught English for a year. And it was there that was I that, started that, to
0: write. Was, was that kind of a sudden, it just, just sort of happened or what? Had you planned on China?
1: What? No, I, I had planned on Japan. I'm obsessed with Japan. Um, but... Japanese um, <laughs> Geog- Japanese <laughs> Geog- authorities great, yeah. uh, are far more mature in their hiring policies. Uh, you need to do like have a degree and a Tefl course. I did a one week Tefl course on the North Mall in Cork City as an eighteen year old. I turned up for one week, passed the test, and went and got a job in the middle of China, in the middle of nowhere in China. Um, in this, like I'm actually a massive teaching university, like a Mary in the middle of nowhere, um, and I, I, and it was there. I said I would keep a journal. And I started reading a lot because no one spoke. There were seven foreign teachers in this university and they were the only like native English speakers or whatever. Um, so I was reading an awful lot. And then I said, oh, yeah, I kind of rediscovered that thing that I was probably doing when I was reading the twits and then trying to write a poem afterwards. I was like, I was reading, say, for example, the Hemingway, reading Hemingway and then my journal would take on this Hemingway-esque tone, even though I was like sitting on my own <laughs> drinking green tea rather than like, you know, yeah. drinking, you know, brandy in the Ritz or whatever. But uh, I started seriously. And then by the time I was halfway through that year, I knew I was going to go back to UCC. I wanted to do English and philosophy and I was going to take a stab at trying to become a writer. There was no creative writing BA at that time or anything like that. Um, And then I did an MA in writing in Galway. And then Bob's your uncle. I'm writing every day Well, there's
0: two things I want to ask you about that. You you mentioned boredom earlier and you had a nostalgia for boredom. Mm. Were, Were you bored in China?
1: I don't know if I was, but bo- I probably spent a lot of time on my own, but I was doing something that was very difficult to me. which was just, I was teaching for the first time. Um, and so I was, my time was, I spent a lot of time planning stuff, a lot of time reading. Um, a lot of time, towards the end, actually, a lot of time missing home. I probably don't admit that enough, but I missed home an awful lot
0: towards the end. And you were in the, you were in the middle, I mean, I was in Beijing once, which was, a, you know, sort of blow your mind in lots of ways but yeah. you were in, you were in the middle of nowhere were you? I was, I was in the middle of nowhere I was two hours in a so place
1: called Huanggang which was two hours from Wuhan which is like the Athlone of <laughs> China so like I was I was essentially in Kinnegat or something you know what I mean um, and it took it took two and a half hours to get say to the nearest um city so the nearest McDonald's was two and a half hours
0: away yeah, so there's no bus. forbidden city or fancy food or no any but of what,
1: that. what I would say is and it going back to that boredom question I didn't get bored either because I had this beautiful timetable where I taught Monday afternoon till Thursday afternoon which meant Thursday afternoon after class I got on a train and I went traveling like and I earned oh, enough right. decent I wasn't rich over there but I earned enough to travel
0: she so you had a whole weekend long weekend every, Thursday every weekend I was
1: gone yeah and i come back, make sure i just come back, because they're brilliant with sleeper trains over there. So I'd come back Monday morning, um, having been in Beijing, having been in Shanghai, Chengdu, all these wonderful, weird and wonderful places. Yeah. Um, so I did do a lot of travelling. And again, loads of reading, loads of sitting on trains.
0: So, and the other thing is this, you mentioned, you know, uh, MAs and writing and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, would you put a lot of stock in that, becoming a writer via learning how to be one, if you know what I mean?
1: I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Yeah. It was brilliant for me. You what you what it's like what it's like is like cutting a massive corner like five years of learning hard lessons you learn them in one year and the best thing about it is it's a year to be a full time writer so I spent a year where I, you the, you have classes but like you might have ten hours a week of classes and you've I was working part time because I paid for it myself so I was trying to pay off I got a loan or whatever I was trying to pay it off so I was working but every morning you get, like and that's where my routine started I still have the routine to today like you know get up at half seven or half six whatever whatever is required based on your work timetable and you write for a few hours and then you head off and you do your day and you might come back and edit in the evening or whatever um but that started then and i had a year to be more or less a full-time writer which was brilliant and you're surrounded by um like-minded individuals which is also brilliant because you think you've you're you think you're well read because you've read um two Hemingway books, an F. Scott Fitzgerald book and The Bell Jar, right? Mm. And then someone rocks up and goes, but have you not heard of like Burroughs and all these lads? Mm. Like, or have you not heard of the Russians? Or And all of a sudden it's this amazing, going back to that thing of sharing art, this amazing swap shop of ideas and you kind of like, one of my best friends till today would have been give, actually given us, our next selection would have given me that and said, wait till you hear, wait till you hear this, now you're going to love this. And having that, kind of environment plus writing full-time plus having a teacher we had i have mike mccormick teaching me fiction i had mikey o'gorman and mary o'malley teaching me poetry which i was terrible at but that's really really valuable but that's not to say that if you didn't do a masters you couldn't write like mm. it's just i think you probably learn the lessons a bit quicker nah, but still to get the, quicker. the benefit
0: of the experience of someone like mike mccormick both as a, as you know, in in the writing itself and the writer's life. Yeah, yeah, uh, um, absolutely. It's good to know all that. Absolutely. You
1: know? And we had we had speakers come to us every week. Like there's a speaker series there. So like Dermot Healy sat in front of me for 40 minutes when I was 22, listing his favorite words. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, what a what
0: a gift. Brilliant. You know. Your next choice is lamb chop.
1: Yeah, and that, like I said, it's um, an album that was given to me by Ciaran Dode not maybe first few weeks of college, have a listen to this manual like this one and off you go, like it's just amazing.
0: This danger witness. Lamb Chop uh, is a woman, the choice of Danny Denton, who's with me in studio tonight. Danny, when you started reading for the first time, uh, outside of school, for instance, what were you drawn to? Mm,
1: when I was uh, very young, it was um, the stock stuff, Roald Dell, the Hardy Boys, all those kind of things. And then, um, and comics, loads of Beanos and Dandies. Um, And then coming out of secondary school, it was people like Stephen King. Uh, I was obsessed with Stephen King for a long time. Not the horror so much as he has a a big fantasy series called The Dark Tower. That was a a big one for me. Um, And then decide if I I decide I want to try and write things, I should read more things. and I start reading Hemingway and I I start reading um, F. Scott Fitzgerald. I didn't read that much. Irish stuff early on bar maybe The Butcher Boy was massive because Ooh. you know like everyone loves The Butcher Boy and rightly so um, and I wasn't reading so much other Irish stuff I was terrified of Joyce or any, or anything like that um, but then once I think once you read a couple of really great books say for example Tender Is The Night or The Bell Jar um, or something for example Margaret Atwood all of a sudden then whole new worlds are reading open up and I I feel like I've been in a game of chase ever since then Mm. trying to read the next trying to get the next thing read there's something I haven't read there's a blind spot and I've been doing like I feel like I've been doing that ever since um the things that have really stuck with me probably are more modernist things like T.S. Eliot is a massive one for me a massive one for my book And, and when did you start
0: to think I would like to attempt this activity myself
1: probably around then and and it's weird the um um I, I still have my initial attempts at I had an idea for a novel and it was gonna be set um it was gonna be said that this flood was threatening, kind of like that Game of Thrones and winter is coming, like the flood is coming, the flood is coming. It'll be about these two brothers and it was pure Stephen King, the stand style thing. Um so even while I was I was doing my essays on T. S. Eliot and Nietzsche and things like that, I was still trying to kind of write Stephen King stuff, and then that, modernist stuff started to leak into the Stephen King stuff. And then I discovered Dermot Healy and I wanted to be Dermot Healy for mm-hmm. two or three years. So I was trying to write in a kind of more. so. It's not fair to say Dermot Healy is social media, He's another modernist actually, but in a in a way that we can probably recognize a lot easier than reading The Wasteland or something like that. Um, and Dermot, Dermot Healy was the person we talked mentioned earlier about mimicking different people and stuff. Dermot Healy was the writer I think I wanted to be. Um, and then I managed to kind of shake off that influence enough to be myself eventually and that's kind of where the, this book The Early King came from um, but I think it's probably yeah th- those kind of amalgams and mishmashes of things layerings of influence that kind of some, some things wash off you know like stains or something some things wash out and they don't come back and then some things stay like I'm sure I, I have a, a, a I have a love of, of storytelling and narrative and that is Stephen King and that is probably just being told stories by my granddad and things as well but like Stephen King's not gone, and I don't, you know, I haven't. I, I'm not now a snob because I like the modernists. I don't like Stephen King anymore. It's well, all there. You, and
0: if you can combine Stephen King and, and T. S. Eliot, then you've got a, a formula. That's maybe, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, a magic formula, perhaps. <laughs> Your next musical choice is.
1: Speaking of mishmashes, it's burial. Um, burial uh, is from South London. It was anonymous for a long time. I don't think he is anymore. And when I moved to London, I moved to London later as an adult uh, around 2010, <clears throat> and this is where I felt a felt connection and listened to this kind of music because I don't know what it stirred me, but these kind of little two-step jungle garage kind of little influences and the, the sampling, it was kind of like, oh, this is this is the kind of book I like in in, in sound.
0: Stormzy, the uh, choice of Danny Denton, who's with me in studio tonight, Shut Up, and uh, prior to that, Burial. So you were saying that that, that kind of music sort of reignited it, several interests. It early.
1: reignited, well, it, it kind of just, so when, when I moved back to London, um, I was at a bit of a crossroads. I'd been doing a lot of kind of short-term admin jobs, temping jobs, trying to be a writer, and I kind of said I need, to, um, I need to get a vocation. Um, because I know that I'll never make money from writing, I kind of given up on getting published. Even though I was still writing, I given up on publishing deals and that kind of thing. So I trained as a teacher in London, um, and I started teaching in Lewisham, Southeast London, which is you know a stone's throw from Camberwell, really two buses, uh, maybe twenty minutes. And I was just, um, it was gas because I was, I was saying to my, I had a mentor and stuff, and he was, um, I was saying. When I was growing up, like I went to a school exactly like this. I think my first year of school was in a school exactly like this. And he was like, "Oh, back in 1985 or whatever, 1989, this was all Irish." And and at this point, and in 2011, 98% African Caribbean mm-hmm. immigrants and things or immigrant families, um, and he was like, "Oh, these were all Irish." And now it's and this was the music of. The playground, the yard. This was the language the kids spoke, and I kind of, I felt very close to them. Then I had an awful hard time <laughs> with with them. Like it was a tough job teaching in Southeast London. Um, but uh, now, whenever and kind of that kind of gave me grime I couldn't relate to before. Those kind of things when I was in Ireland, probably. And then when you actually, because I don't know if you ever find this, but music kind of has a place. It doesn't, it's, it's, does, not, yeah. it's not tied to a place, but when you're in the place, hearing the music of the place. Like. And it
0: applies to everything, even music, music like Steve Reich and something like that. That's New York music. Absolutely. yeah, New yeah. yeah. And it, you know, the, so it's true. You know, you go to the, you go to the, go to the place and it does.
1: And it was and and you hear so like the Stormzy's a Stormzy's a lovely um story and an important story in terms of he's a role model he was a kid had trouble apparently a gifted student but had loads of trouble in a school in southeast London um and now he um, is opening a publishing company for these voices like disenfranchised voices subcultures um and it's it's just brilliant and and it's really cool to uh, hear, because he, he has spoken about um, kids rapping in the yard at school, having rap-offs with different people and things. Um, and of course, I was seeing this every day when I was on yard duty and thinking like, ah, what are these kids at? Like, you know, they should be playing football, they should be getting exercise. But actually, then you see it's a completely valid, wonderful, vibrant thing. Um, so that's my, that's my London connection artist now, I think, is Stormzy and Skepta and people
0: like that. Do you like teaching?
1: uh yeah um i I do enjoy it actually I've been doing a, a good bit of it the last year in terms of creative writing. I did a spell in NUI Galway um and I've really enjoyed but even it
0: apart from the creative writing stuff you know working with kids and as you say you had a tough time
1: i yeah, I really enjoyed um working with kids except the behavior management side of things I found really difficult and it's because probably in England especially and it's apparently it's gone this way to in Ireland. Teachers are more or less social workers in terms of they're just basically everything is Excel spreadsheets. Everything is about progress. Nothing is about actually teaching kids to be better at English. Nothing is about teaching kids to be better people or anything like that. So
0: so it's a really,
1: really um, grim environment to work in. But the teenagers, I think, are just so cool. Like (laughs) they're so full of life. They're so full of beans. They're so um, dramatic. Um, and it being part of that was lovely and when you kind of finally win their respect like you come back after Christmas and they're like oh you haven't quit you're still here okay we like you now you know like it's been marvellous and the kids I, well, since I've come back the kids I had the toughest time managing behaviour with like in terms of they were getting detentions all the time cursing in class starting fights all sorts of stuff they're the kids I actually miss the most you know what I mean it's very str- I don't know why I can't explain that um, but uh, yeah so I, I do miss it but it's like really tough and I have the hugest respect for teachers and I don't know if I miss that kind of get everyone to you know line up in a straight line everyone has to wear their tie and I don't know if I miss any of that but I do miss teaching one of my one of my f- happiest things was teaching kids William Blake um, and then you get to kind of say like oh this guy used to see like angels at the end of his garden like he, this guy took drugs right and the kids are all like oh, I want to read this poem now you know <laughs> like that. Like teaching kids that kind of stuff is an absolute joy.
0: Your next choice um, we're not going to play all of this because it's 22 minutes long much as I'd love to um, <laughs> Godspeed you black emperor
1: Yeah this is kind of going back to the, a couple of things uh, anyway Galway I first heard Godspeed you black emperor and, and it blew, blew my mind and again trying to think kind of kind of thinking of I want to write something that matches this and this is actually I used to have a playlist writing the book and this would would have been one of the albums on the playlist Um, Lift Your Skinny Fist Like Antennas to Heaven I'm not sure who recommended it to me first but it has that kind of a darkness to it it has a movement to it It's kind of, or I think they call it post-rock. It's kind of orchestral, but it's rocky, and it uses samples from different weird things. And it has, I think, the rhythm of a train. So I was always going to pick this one, because it kind of feels like a train setting off these first few minutes um, of this album.
0: Godspeed, you black emperor. and that's um, Godspeed you black emperor from uh, the album lift your skinny fist like antennas to heaven track called storm the choice of uh, Danny Denton who's with me in studio tonight that's quite something Danny isn't it? Mm. Uh, so you mentioned you had a playlist when you're writing the book Um, Mm. is that helpful I know a lot of I know a lot of writers do that although some of them I kind of think it's just another angle because then they release the CD you know along
1: with with the album Uh, is it helpful it was helpful for me to set a mood for myself and to... I think you're always maybe looking... When you're writing, you're always maybe looking for permission yeah. in different ways. And maybe some some people don't need permission. And actually, this uh, the book I'm writing now, I'm not listening to really anything. I have no playlist for it or anything like that. But that one, I just felt... I wanted to capture these moods. Like I'm, I was thinking of movies like Blade Runner, um movies like In the Mood for Love. And I was thinking of artists like Arvo Part. I was thinking of... God speed you Black Emperor and different and burial and things like that. And you're kind of trying to match the mood I was trying to the world of my book wanted to have match the mood of those pieces of music. So it was very useful for me in that. I didn't really I sometimes, but not probably I would say rarely listen to music while I was actually writing. But it might be like I was um cleaning in the room. I'd always have to clean the room before I sit down to write. You know, there can't be any like mm-hmm. reasons not to write. So I would have it on then, and then I'd be like, right, it's like a warm up or something. You know, like a, like in a game match, like I'm warmed up now. I'm ready to go. Like I've got this. I've got Tom Waits in my head now. Here we here we go. Like, um, so it oh, was Tom, helpful, but maybe not vital.
0: Tom Waits is on your list. Will you play him now?
1: Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, Which
0: which which Tom Waits do you prefer? Do you like all of them?
1: I love oh, I love them all. Absolutely love them all. He speaks to every every part of the the psyche, the spirit, the heart. Um, I have chosen Singapore, which is on Rain Dogs, um, because that was a really important album for me. Again, I wanted my world to be the world of Rain Dogs, and there's actually a cheeky little reference to it. There's a point in the book where. Um, this guy is surrounded by a, a, a drinker is surrounded by sailors who are shipping out for singapore and they're kind of heaving away and things like that and um, so yeah a bit of tongue
0: weight would be lovely mm-hmm. Tom Waits, Singapore, Danny Denton with me in studio tonight. He's picking all the music. That track from uh, from Rain Dogs. We have time for just a, a couple more, Danny. Um, what about Troublesome Book Two? How's that going?
1: Um, going back now, to that thing. No, you talk. don't
0: have to talk about it if you don't want it. Yeah, I
1: can. T- I've, 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 I've figured out a way to talk about it without. Ruining, ruining for myself. Yeah, um, it's going okay. It was I thought I had it done, so it's like I've been writing it for a year and a half now, and I finished a draft of it, and then I finished another draft of it, and then I finished another draft of it, and I said, "Yeah, this is it." And I shared it with someone, and they spotted the hole in it. That you know, you're always trying to when you're writing, you're always kind of you see something, you go, "Will I get away with that? Will I get away with that?" Um, and of course they came back and said, "I, I, I wasn't sure about this." and I said, "Yeah, yeah, you're you're dead right. I'd been thinking that myself, and of course, then I, it was like Father Ted tapping the car with the hammer. <laughs> I said one little tap, oh, but I realised I have I've taken the whole thing apart and put it back together again to be the thing I really wanted to be, and it should have been all along. And then that's taken a long time as well. So I'm in the middle of all that now. Kind of I'm keep I'm tapping away, I'm moving parts around, um, and I think it's getting better, but it's also getting very weird.
0: Um, Do you know when you you know you're talking about moving parts around, the big operation, right?" big job oh, yeah, big yeah. job to do but you've got a thing called a laptop probably or a computer of some sort I write sort.
1: longhand John <laughs> I, do you I, yeah 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 I write longhand I do type things up uh, periodically so like every f- 50 pages I'll I'll go back and type up what I've written and it kind of gives me a chance to be a little bit of an editor but I do write longhand um
0: but when you're doing the moving around part, are the you, moving are you around, doing that on a laptop.
1: I'm doing that on a laptop, um, and I've I spent fifty quid on this program called Scrivener, mm. which is it's essentially a Microsoft word, but it's a novelist dream of a Microsoft Word because you, you can kind of see it's like having everything laid out on front of you know, on the floor, and you can just physically move it. You can just drag a fo- a piece here to there and you can see what the order of the pieces looks like. So I use that. It's very useful, especially for the amount that I'm doing, because it's like, I don't know, I'm really bad at ironing, but you know when you iron a shirt and it's like, you think you've got it done, you're like, oh, there's that massive crease there, I need to fix that. And so it's it's very like a, a long, long form version of that, actually.
0: Next choice is um, next, Katie Kim.
1: Next choice is my cousin, Katie Kim, I yeah. Know,
0: I didn't know she was your cousin. She was on here not so long ago.
1: Yeah, and she, oh God, she, she picked half the songs I would have picked, actually. Um, I couldn't pick Nick Cave because of her, um, or not not Nick Cave, Johnny Greenwood. I had Johnny Greenwood down. But anyways, yeah, Katie um, is my cousin from Waterford, uh, my Waterford cousin. Um, and it's just, I picked it because I love it, actually. Um, this song, Your Mountains, it, it's really nice because you know you have family, right? And everyone loves their family more or less. Um and you always want your family to do well and you always cheer them on even if you think what they do is rubbish. So, like, my dad's been cheering me on as a gaff player for years and years and years and he couldn't tell one end of a gaff field from another, like, you what know. What position it, did
0: you play, by the way?
1: I was an average midfielder and then a half-decent half-back.
0: Yeah, you must have known what you were doing.
1: Um, But, uh, ah, well, I wasn't the worst.
0: Well, otherwise they'd have put you out. I got picked. Otherwise you'd have been a full forward.
1: <laughs> yeah, true, yeah, yeah, lump them up. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, and you kind of, so you, you, when Katie's starting out, and she started out real early, like I remember her playing cover versions when we were kids, like 12, 13 or whatever. Um, and you just go like, oh yeah, you're great. You're And then I remember her, her first album came out I was like, oh my God, that's actually amazing. Like, that's exactly the kind of thing I want to listen to. And it's been that way ever since. Uh, this song in particular, Your Mountains, she played it at our grandfather's funeral. It's just, it's an absolutely beautiful song. I. I don't know. I, I used to say I don't know if anyone has a better voice in Ireland, and then Ray D. Pete came along, and I thought, God, they're they're on a par, and then they started they working are, together, and work. it was just like, yeah. oh my God, how gifted are we, and how gifted am I to be be your cousin? Um, so yeah, Katie came. You're a mountain.
0: The morning shattered those bad dreams That keep you awake Katie Kim there, and a song called Your Mountains, the choice of uh, Danny Denton. Danny, just before you go, you, you've touched on this already and I'm sure there's people out there tonight listening who are writing, mm. uh, would like to write and so on. And you did touch on this already, but what, what is your, your, your working life like? You're you're you've learned to be disciplined about this, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I've learned to be disciplined about it. Um, <clears throat> you have you kind of have. It's like having three part-time jobs. Really, the last couple of years, anyway, for me, have been since I gave up full-time work. Um, you're a writer, and you I write in the mornings, nearly always. Um, I work Monday to Friday. Okay. Start, I take the week. Starting what time? Uh, at the moment. It's, it's, I start at half seven and I go to about eleven-ish.
0: Well, you sit down at half seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get up at what time? I get up at seven. So you, sit down, you have breakfast. I get up at
1: seven, have a bowl of cereal, pet the cats for a minute yeah. Off and off to work I go. And then what happens is um, we, we live in a tiny one-bed place I go downstairs, I, I work at the kitchen table. When Rachel gets up and she's shipping out to work, I'll, we'll swap places. I'll go up and I'll sit at the desk. Uh, in, because we have one, one room upstairs. And the desk is right at the end of it. So I'll go and work at the desk then. Um, and then emails and submissions and all that kind of stuff come after that. Come after that. And this um, is your
0: work to do with uh, Sting and Fly and all the rest of it? Or? Well,
1: yeah, but my own, like I might have work on submissions somewhere. We yeah. sending out short stories and things like that or... Um, things like that. And then the Stingin' and then in terms of then the part time jobs, I was doing quite a bit of teaching last year and and teaching at the start of this year in NUIG. Um and then I took over the to get as a guest editor of the Sting and Fly at the start of this year. And then that becomes another kind of part time job. And then for that I was reading in the afternoons. Like I read a lot for that. Got a lot of submissions, really, really, really joyful period actually just to read loads and loads and loads of, loads of unpublished work, which is brilliant. Um is, is, it,
0: is it really when you want to do your own work? Uh, do you know what I mean? You have, you have to set your own work to one side to do this, you know?
1: Yeah, but you know, the truth of the matter is, I wonder, could I, if I if, if I was on a salary of, you know, half a million quid a year, and I didn't have to do anything else, would I write from half seven in the morning till five in the evening with an hour for lunch? I probably wouldn't. I don't think I, I, I think it takes too, writing is a pretty psychologically or psychically demanding thing to do. So... I don't think I could do it for for probably more than four hours um, a day now it would be nice obviously you can go for a run you can you can do other things but um, I do like having I I am enjoying having other things like make like so making art is what I think I do in the mornings um, and then Putting art together and sharing art and helping other people make art is what I currently do for the Sting and Fly in the afternoons. And that's actually a joy of its yeah, own. Yeah. And it's a different type of pressure and it's a different type of thing, like reading work and saying, I think you could improve this here and there. And then putting it all together and saying, this is a, again, going back to that mixtape feeling, here's a document we made for the world. Full now, you, of you mentioned
0: there uh, your partner, Rachel, going to work, right? Mm. Now, Richard Ford always says, when he's asked, you know, how to be a writer, he says, you need to marry my wife but you're going to have to go through me to get to it. You know? <laughs> he always says that because throughout his writing career, she has worked. Yeah. She 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 has worked and enabled him to sit at home for a long time trying to become the Richard Ford that he is now. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I'd say it's important that that your partner has a job.
1: Rachel is the breadwinner. Yeah, yeah. When we first met, Rachel was a student, so I used to kind of pay over halfway when we were living together. i pay a little bit more of the rent than she did full in the knowledge that <laughs> that when when I went full time writing eventually I'd be I'd be asking for it back. So that Rachel is the breadwinner in our house. Um and I'm very grateful of, of, to her for millions and millions of things, but that's just one of them.
0: Sounds okay, though. <laughs> yeah, so, it sounds works. It sounds about right. It works well, yeah. So, Danny, listen, thanks a million for coming in. Um, it was a real pleasure to talk to you and to hear your choices. And uh, if we could, we'd do it again tomorrow night, because I know you've got list With a whole different set. Yeah, yeah, with a whole different set. And, lists yeah, yeah, and a, lists, and set. a list, of, list of music. So, your last choice is Richard Dawson. Is he the kind of slightly wonky, folky musician? Yes. Everything's slightly wonky, and dare I say it, slightly out of tune?
1: Yes. I like yes. that Yes, I absolutely love it, yeah. And a master of, of voice, what a voice he has. It was
0: uh, Eliza Carthy on this show who played Richard Dawson. She introduced Did me to she? him. Yeah, she was in your oh, seat. Fantastic. fantastic. Yeah.
1: I'm not alone then. Yeah, no. Newcastle troubadour, but with a, with a dissonant, weird difference.
0: And uh, what, is it, what are we going to hear?
1: We're going to hear The Magic Bridge, which I think this was either his second or his third album. Um, and this song is so, it's like a lullaby sung by a, I don't know what it's actually about, but it's like a lullaby sung by a parent um, who kind of, the, the, the dream of the lullaby s- suddenly twists into the parent's grief or something. And it, the way his voice changes
0: is so beautiful. Danny Denton, thanks a million.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: sleep lies a magical bridge hidden in a grove of blossom hymns. you've been listening to a podcast of mystery train with john kelly Mystery Train hits the rails every Sunday to Thursday at 7pm on 96-99 RTE Lyric FM.